0: Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, after, I think, a couple of years, I think I was here in 2020, there was a little window of time we met out here on the, the lawn. And um, Karen and I, at that time, were still very much engaged in the work uh, in Lusaka, Zambia. Um, although we were then, at that time, residing here in the States, we had moved back in 2017 and we're residing in the States, and I was spending three to four months of the year there. Um, last year, 2021, was our official year of retirement uh, from Action International Ministries. And so we're kind of wrapping things up, as it were, with, uh, with folks like yourselves who have been supporting us. And um, I know that... Not all of you will be here for the presentation um, after the, our lunch together. And so I just wanna take this moment to express my appreciation, uh, our appreciation uh, to you for I think around 12 years of faithful partnership with us um, starting Action Pastors College and training pastors for in the, the work of the gospel. Uh, in Lusaka Zambia so thank you from the bottom of our hearts that work does continue and I'll be sharing more about that uh, in the presentation time after lunch but that work continues under the leadership of three excellent and very qualified Zambian pastors and educators uh, who were my partners during the the many years that that we were there Now they carry on that work. In fact, this month, they're beginning the second year of the three-year program with a new class of about 18 pastors. So give praise to God for that. That work is going on because of the work that you did in holding the rope for us. So we praise God for his grace in you. I do also wanna just kind of prep you a little bit for a little something special. We're gonna be giving away some crafts uh, from Zambia um, in our presentation. And so for those of you who are going to be staying, those crafts are at the back of the auditorium there, the foyer, and uh, you'll need to sign up. So there are sheets of paper there, little slips of paper. Every family could put their name on one piece of paper. Um, And uh, we'll be drawing out of that and presenting some just some special gifts from Zambia uh, as we do our presentation with you. In today's message, um, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, as we read. Um, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And I've been praying this prayer for myself as well as for others for really the last 20 years of my life, and I have found that that when this prayer is prayed in faith and in sincerity, that there are really good things that we need from God that are prayed about in this prayer, and and good things will indeed break forth into our life. I don't know about you, but I find prayer to be a real struggle, to be faithful in prayer. Paul Miller, the author of The Praying Life, says that America is one of the most difficult places on earth to learn how to pray. Um, The reason for that is that we are so self-sufficient, so can do, so just do it, so just get it done, that prayer feels like a waste of time. Hollywood doesn't make it appear um, that prayer has any real importance in life. The evening news does not make it appear that prayer um, has anything really to do, any relevance to to current events. But when I read the New Testament, I get a a countercultural view of prayer. The apostles believe in prayer because they believe Jesus and they believe God's word. And I choose, and I know that you do too, to believe the apostles and Jesus. So let's pray right now for his help. Father God, we look to you. Um, I would speak as it were the very utterances of God. Help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, help your people to have hearts that Uh, are prepared and ready to receive that word. And Lord, as we do continue to worship you now over the word, we pray that the Spirit of God would indeed hover over this place, cause your word to come alive to us. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word, in Jesus' name, amen. What I've discovered is that the most important things that we want and need, and indeed the things we want and need for those that we love, the most important things really only happen by the grace of God through the gospel. And prayer is an essential part of that process. So when God gives us a recorded prayer, which is packed with insight, and the things that we should be praying for. I think we would do well to read it and learn from it. Um, I'm gonna read the prayer to you again from the NIV 84 edition. So I want you to just, maybe you can look at, at your own Bibles as I do. and. Um, Observe, there, there are some differences, but I, I, the reason I'm reading from this is because I think they've captured better than every other translation the, the essence of the petitions in this prayer. So let me read it, and then I'll have a couple of introductory comments about it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and, ground- and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. The first introductory comment I want to make is that this is a strategically located prayer in Paul's letter. The location is actually part of the message of the prayer. Ephesians, like most of Paul's letters, uh, divide naturally into two parts. There's a a doctrinal section. In this case, Ephesians chapter one through three that usually is unpacking truths from the gospel. And then there's there's a, a more practical section um, in which he urges his re- readers to live a fully Christian life. That section actually begins in chapter 4, verse 1. And you can see the, the uh, transition. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore I, therefore a prisoner, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This is this is. Paul's first time to use that metaphor of walking. It's his favorite metaphor for describing the Christian life. And this is the only letter in which he inserts, right on the seam between that doctrinal section and the practical section, he inserts a prayer for his readers. He doesn't do that in any of the other epistles. The location is emphasizing the importance of prayer and the importance of this prayer for Christian living. Here's the other comment I wanna make. This prayer has been prompted by something that Paul previously said. He begins in verse 14, for this reason I pray. So what's the reason? Uh, Since chapter 2, Paul has been talking about the mystery of the new community that God has created through the gospel of Jesus. The mystery is that Jesus has died for our sins, been raised from the dead, and through his death and resurrection, that God has now brought together Jews and Gentiles into the one family of God. That is good news and it's good news for us, brothers and sisters, because we are the the Gentiles. We are the nations that were far off and now in Jesus Christ have been brought new. And here's why I think Paul is praying this prayer. He's writing to a predominantly Gentile audience. This is a prayer for people that the apostle Peter says In his epistle, the Gentiles were living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. This is who they were not so long ago. They were in the dark about the God of the Bible. They knew little or nothing of what it means to live a godly life. So they really needed God to answer this prayer, and we really need God to answer this prayer for us as well. So what does Paul pray for? There are two petitions brought out clearly by the NIV translation. This is really the big idea of my message today. The two petitions of this prayer Focus on the two ongoing transformative experiences that every Christian needs to live a fully Christian life. Let's unpack that first petition. The first petition is for an experience of the transforming power of God. I get that from verses 16 and 17. The first part of 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. First of all, it's, it's encouraging to see the, the, the great potential for this prayer to be answered. Paul addresses God the Father and his request is that the Father would answer this prayer out of all his glorious riches. Behind that phrase is the truth that God is a person of immeasurable wealth. You know, if you came um, to Tracy Singleton and you said to him, Tracy, I need a million dollars. It doesn't matter how much I want to help you. I don't have the resources. (laughs) you're going to have to find a richer benefactor. In God, we have a benefactor with unlimited resources. The measure of his resources is the riches of his glory. The Apostle Paul knew something about the riches of God's glory. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians when Jesus appeared to him in a blinding flash of light. He knew that he was seeing what the Jews just called the Shekinah glory of God. That glory that filled the, the newly dedicated temple after Solomon prayed the glory that filled the the temple when Isaiah went in there after the death of Uzziah, and God appeared sitting on a throne, and the seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The God of the Bible is an infinitely glorious person. That's a great mission, to be a church church that wants to proclaim the greatness of God. That's what we're talking about. The Bible, the God of the Bible is an infinite glorious person. And even if if he were to manifest that Shekinah glory right now in our presence, folks, we would be on our faces as a natural response to that glory. According to the riches of his glory means that if you could put a dollar amount on his glory, it would be incalculable. Elon Musk, richest person in the world, right? A pauper next to God. This is the standard of the measure to which Paul is appealing. It doesn't matter where you are in this li- in your life at this moment doesn't matter where you're at right now in this moment in your life. If God begins to answer this prayer according to the riches of his glory, things are going to happen. They're going to happen. Let's pause and ask, well, why do we need this power for which Paul is praying? When Paul says in your inner being, he's focusing on the power that we need inside of us. This is a prayer for moral strength to live a life that's pleasing to God. I think that there are a couple of contextual factors that explain why, why believers need spiritual power. A couple of factors we can find right in the book of Ephesians. In this letter, there's a pervasive reality of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, the armor of God, right? The the classic passage on spiritual warfare. But if you read the the book, the letter to the Ephesians carefully, you're going to actually find spiritual warfare literally in every chapter, if you have eyes to see it. In chapter 2, he talks about their previous bondage, that, that they were experiencing. I'm not going to read that passage, but he talked about how uh, there were three enemies at our, that are actively engaged in, in battle against us, and they were winning and had us in their clutches. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are three enemies that, that on, in which we engage in spiritual warfare. We need power to overcome those enemies. The other factor that explains why Paul is praying for power is the need for faith so that Christ will dwell in our hearts. Um, I once asked a group of Zambian pastors, why would Paul pray this way for those who are already believers? Don't we don't we have Jesus dwelling in our, in our hearts, even from the very moment that we believe? A little, little theology test. And one of the pastors raised his hand, and he, and he said, It's true that we have Christ from the moment of our conversion, but it is also true that we want to have more of him. You know, I commended that answer. That's not a bad answer. Um, But I think there's actually a better answer as to what Paul means. When Paul prays for power so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, there is the idea that as Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, that more and more of our life is brought under his lordship. It's what we call progressive sanctification. This is brought out, actually, by the word for indwelling that that Paul uses. There there are two Greek words that express the idea, the concept of indwelling. One of them is weaker and implies the idea of a temporary residence. The other, which Paul uses in this prayer, implies uh, indwelling as a settled residence, a place of continual abiding. So let me illustrate what I think Paul is praying for. It's not uncommon. I bet you that someone could stand here and give a testimony for some for a young couple um, to buy a house that needs a lot of work to fix it up. Call that a fixer upper, right? Or a starter house. My my daughter Audrey and her husband Keith bought a house like that in Pittsburgh. The house was. A 100 years old. The kitchen cabinets were ancient. Uh, The one and only upstairs bathroom had all kinds of issues. The flooring was worn out. And uh, I don't think that there was a plumb wall or a level surface in that whole house. But they began to remodel it room by room. Years ago, I spent Uh, five days helping them do the very first project. We tore out those old cabinets and installed new ones. Later, Keith remodeled the living room and the entryway. And then he came and and remodeled the the dining room. And then, last year even, uh, he remodeled the the bathroom. I was with them a couple of years ago and we reconfigured the, the girl's bedroom. Over the years, Keith and Audrey have talked about selling that old house, and I was not opposed to that idea. But they managed to stay there and take on new projects every year to make it more inhabitable. I was there when actually some neighbors uh, walked through the house and they hadn't seen it since Audrey and Keith had bought the house And as they were were walking through the house, they commented that they could hardly recognize the house that Audrey and Keith were, were now living in. Audrey and Keith have quit talking about buying a newer house because they're quite at home in that old home. I think that is what Paul means when he prays that we would be empowered in the inner person so that Christ might dwell in us through faith. It's not so much getting more of Jesus inside of us as it is Jesus getting more and more of our insides and making us new. The reason why this can and will happen is because the Spirit of God indwells us and He can give us power. The life of following Jesus, here's an application. Jesus, the life of following Jesus is a life of removing the old and building back the new. And I wonder what Rooms in your house need remodeling today. Here's some encouragement. Jesus is the contractor in charge of this project. And he doesn't do it all at once. He does it room by room. Zambians have a a saying, pangono pangono. It means bit by bit. Folks, we, we are pangono pangono people. We change slowly. In the next chapter, though, the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 17 through 32, talks about some of the specifics of this process of sanctification. And I just want to give you the, the assignment to go to this passage and meditate on, past, on chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. And in and, and verse 25, he begins kind of a grocery list of things. Things like put away away falsehood and speak the truth. Things like be angry and do not sin. Things like let the, the thief steal no longer, but let him labor. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such words as build up, as edify others, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit, and let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor be put away from you, and be kind to one another. Maybe you'll find a remodeling project there that you need to work on in your life. Let's move on to the the second petition. The second petition is for an experience of the transforming love of God. So first petition, praying for an experience of the transforming power of God. Second petition, praying for an experience of the transforming love of God. I get it from verse 17b through 19. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to notice that experiencing the love of God is just as important as experiencing the power of God. Paul gives it just as much attention in his prayer. It almost goes without saying, but but let's say it. This is not a prayer that we might love Christ more. That's not what Paul is praying. That will happen, I think, when you pray this prayer. But the prayer itself is that we might better grasp his love for us. We see that this is also a a petition for power. Paul says that you may have strength to comprehend. The emphasis is different than the first prayer. This is for power to know something. Something that is so deep and impactful that it is more than just knowledge. It is knowledge that transforms our lives. There are many issues in life in which we struggle because we don't really know what we know. Have you found that to be true? We don't really know what we know. This is a prayer for an experience of knowing the love of God that transforms the desires of our hearts and corrects the course of our behavior. I want you to notice that this is an experience that Paul wants us to have together. He prays that you may comprehend with all the saints. This is something that a church does, not just individually, but we do it corporately together. There are thousands of books and stories and movies that testify to the power of love to change the course of human human lives. Thousands of them. I would suggest probably half of the movies you watch are about how love can change your life. We have this capacity to experience and to to receive the, the love of another in ways that can change us. This is just a a truism of human experience, and that's, that's behind this second petition. The petition begins by acknowledging that every Christian has experienced the love of God. I get that from the end of verse 17, where Paul says, and I'm going to give it my own paraphrase. Paul says, because you have been rooted and grounded in the love of God. That part of the prayer is actually acknowledging that every Christian knows about the love of God. 51 years ago, this actually at the beginning of of February, I experienced, I had an experience of the love of God that I count as the the very beginning of my Christian life. I experienced uh, one night alone in my dormitory room a deep conviction in my soul that I was a sinner who needed God's forgiveness. The Spirit of God was teaching me that. I had just only recently begun to talk with Christians and read the scriptures, and I knew very little about them. But I, as I experienced conviction of sin, I knew that Jesus had died for me. And I called upon Jesus that night in my dormitory room, to save my soul, to save me. And immediately, I will tell you that immediately, I experienced a peace and joy and strength in my soul that in one sense is... the the very reason why I'm standing before you here today, you can draw a direct line between that experience and what happened that, that evening to where I'm at today and speaking to you. That was a deep experience of the love of God. So yes, every Christian knows something about the love of God. But the petition acknowledges, brothers and sisters, that we need more of it. Here's my extended prayer phrase. Because you know and have been strengthened by the love of God, I pray that you might have the strength to more fully grasp with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. We do know it, but we need to know it more. We need to know that his love is higher than the sky and deeper than the ocean. We need to know that his love is greater than, far greater than anything that we can imagine or think, and more than we've ever even dared to dream. The love of God for us. In the late 70s, I was reading the sermons of the English pastors called the Puritans, and I suspect there are probably some Puritan. aficionados in this church who know the Puritans and something about their ministry and their, their work. Um, they didn't get everything right, but they got a lot right. And they were, they were spiritual surgeons who, could take, who can take you apart in a sermon and put you back together again by the Spirit through the gospel. They promised a teaching. I'm sorry, they promoted a teaching that there are experiences of the love of God that God has promised and gives to his children from time to time. They, they viewed those experiences as essential to our spiritual growth. They raised, uh, they, 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 they based this teaching on Romans 5.5, 5, which says that, that That living in a life of hope and God does does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. From that text and others like Ephesians three, they argued that we need experiences of the love of God poured out into our hearts by God's Holy Spirit. That experience, more than 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 simply reading in Scripture and being awed by the truth that God so loved the world, that experience that we need it is a is well that it would be a wonderful experience, wouldn't it? be reading scripture and to see the love of god for us in john three sixteen, and to feel and sense the a sense of all that god loves us but they taught also that there is a deeper experience of the love of god beyond that normal experience and the difference between those they illustrated in this way it's the difference between sitting with your father at the breakfast table, and uh, he tells you that he loves you and he hopes you have a good day today. That's a wonderful thing when a father says that. But even more wonderful would be walking down the street as a young boy or girl with your hand in the hand of your father, and for seemingly no reason, he stops and gets down on one knee and puts his arms around you and says, I hope you know how much I love you. That is a deeper experience of knowing the love of a father, a way that surpasses knowledge. This is what Paul is praying when he prays that believers may have the power to fully grasp the love of God in all its breadth and length and height and depth, which simply means the immeasurable love of God in Christ. Why do we need these ongoing experiences of God's love? Paul's answer is in the purpose for which he prays this prayer. Let me read it again in entirety so you, you catch the purpose in context. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. That final clause is an obscure idea to us. We don't talk that away, actually. What does filled to the measure of all the fullness of God mean? It wasn't obscure to Paul, and it wasn't obscure to his readers, because it actually occurs several times in the letter to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. Here's how I would summarize what that means. Being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God means that God's attributes, His character, that He shares with us, like His love and mercy and kindness and patience, and we could, we could go on, that being filled with the fullness of God means that His character so fills our lives that we become Godlike in our character, more like Jesus. Being filled with God's fullness means our lives grow more and more like Jesus Christ in living a life of love to others. I was really surprised recently when uh, I heard about a survey that had uh, had been done among former Muslims who have become Christians. And the survey revealed, as they were questioned, about how they came to faith in Jesus Christ, that the number one reason Muslims become Christians is seeing the love that Christians have for one another. Number one reason why they become Christians. As we love like Jesus loves, our churches, our lives become magnets to draw people to Christ. So how can we grow in experiencing God's love? I wanna give you a very practical way of doing that. One of the practices that the Puritans encouraged to nurture experiencing the love of God was meditating on scripture. I meditate, I memorized and I meditated on 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what manner of the love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. I remember driving home from work alongside the Arkansas River out west of Tulsa, Oklahoma headed to my, my home in the hill, in the Osage Hills. And as I drove along that afternoon, I was thinking and pondering about this great love for me that God has. And as I pondered the greatness of this love, thinking on this passage, 1 John chapter 3, verse one, for a brief time, it seemed like the glory of God descended into that old rust bucket of a Chevrolet truck that I was driving. And my soul was filled with such a sense of wonder that I had to pull off the road and worship God. Memorizing and meditating on scripture is a really important discipline for not only shaping just how we think and our worldview, but also for shaping our capacity to see and to taste his glory. Brothers and sisters, I think the more that we see and taste his glory, the more we will proclaim, the more effectively we will proclaim the greatness of our God let us give ourselves to this spiritual discipline and ask God indeed to come and meet with us as we meditate and think on his word, to open up our eyes that we may behold wonderful things. Amen. Uh, He concludes this prayer with a benediction that's intended to be a big encouragement to pray this prayer. Um, I I actually would like for us to go ahead and sing our final song, and then I'm going to come up, and I want you to listen carefully as we we read this benediction to the greatness of the promise that Paul attaches to this prayer that God will hear and answer our cry.